And God's people said, amen. Man, I could have sung that glorious day again. I'm good when I sing by myself. I'm just telling you, man. Well, today we're going to start a brand new sermon series called Lost Ships and Missed Harbors. We're going to go through the whole month of November with this. I'm really excited about it just because it gives us an opportunity to kind of take something that's really cultural for us in our area and, uh, and then just kind of take some truths from God's word and kind of dig in a little bit. I don't know if you know this or not, but November is known as the month of storms, the gales of November, the witches of November, if you like the old Gordon Lightfoot song uh, from the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, but it's true. Uh, for whatever reason, when the northeastern start to flow and the, and the waters start to cool and the winds start to rise, the winds can quickly pick up to over 50 miles an hour with gusts over 100 miles an hour. The waves can go from kind of calm, if you've seen our, one of our four great lakes that surround our state, they can go from really calm and placid to, you know, 10, 15, 25 foot waves and swells. It is really incredible what this wind, because it's unobstructed over the lake, especially Lake Superior in Michigan, can do to ships. It's really neat. Matter of fact, there's been in the history of the Great Lakes over 6,000 recorded ship, shipwrecks and over 30,000 souls have lost, been lost in our Great Lakes. It's kind of interesting if you find out some of the stuff that goes on. And it seems like the first week of November, and is it like crazy that we're in the first week of November? I mean, does anybody look back and go, man, where did this year go? And uh, if you look back at the first week of November, you, you see a lot in the historical accounts of all the shipwrecks, you see a lot where the winds blew in unexpected. And because the winds blew in and the waves got high, it blew a lot of boats into the shallow waters where the rocks were. The captains would now have a hole in their, their hull, would try to run the ships aground to save it, or the wind would just push them. In, for example, in 1924, there was the SS Glendolen. In high seas, she was blown off course and hit the rocks in shallow waters, and she ran aground, and two died. In the first week of November in 1918, the Chester A. Cogden ran aground in fog. Then later on, it was the SS Appomattox that went aground in smoke and fog on the Wisconsin coast of Lake Michigan near Milwaukee in 1905. And what happens is when these ships run aground, you would simply think, well, get a rope and unstuck them, right? But it's not that easy. When these big barges, when these big ships weighted down with heavy cargo, when they run aground and they hit bottom, you ever just stand on the, on the sand in the ocean and the tide comes in and you're standing on the sand and before the tide goes out, you sunk a little into the sand? And then the next wave, the tide comes in, and the tide goes out, and you're a little deeper in the sand. Well, that's the idea. The constant, relentless pounding of the waves and the storms wreak havoc on these ships. In fact, almost all the ships that run aground, that do not have a sister ship close to them to help them, almost all of them end up broken into pieces because of the relentless pounding of the waves. Now, I don't know what your relentless pounding is. I don't know if your relentless pounding is spiritual. I don't know if your relentless pounding is financial. I don't know if your relentless pounding is, 
health. I don't know if you're relentless pounded as you're at a particular place in life that you never thought that you would be. All I can just tell you is that I know a guy who can unstuck your boat. And his name's Jesus. Matter of fact, there's kind of a, a cool story. There's, there's the USS Algoma. And the USS Algoma is interesting in the course of Lake Superior history because more loss of life occurred on this ship in Lake Superior than in any other in the court of history. And November the 6th in 1885, when it was about halfway across the lake, it ran into a blinding snowstorm. About four in the morning on November the 7th, the captain ordered the sails lowered and changed course. By 4.40 a.m., they, they resumed steam power. To no avail, the Agloma ran aground. And under the relentless beating and the pounding of the waves, in that blinding snowstorm, she broke in two and 46 people died. I'm telling you, the relentless pounding of the wave when you run aground, when you get stuck, when, when you are just where you cannot move or have not moved spiritually can be, not to borrow a phrase from yesterday, but yesterday was awesome and Friday too, relentless. And sometimes it's people that cause that relentless pounding. Amen? Matter of fact, would you turn to the book of Jude? Now, the best way to get to the book of Jude is go to Revelation chapter 1 and look left. And I guarantee you, you will see the book of Jude. And the book of Jude was written, he's the brother of James. Some Bible scholars believe that he might even be the half-brother of Jesus Christ. We don't know that for sure. But, but he wasn't one of the primary leaders of the early church, but he was certainly influential in that early church in Jerusalem back in the day. And he was writing about a certain kind of individual. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 12, you'll see that Jude is really kind of talking about people who are contending for the faith and people who are pretending in the faith. He's talking about people who are sold out and passionate, and he's there cheering them on. But then he says, I also want you to be aware of people who will relentlessly pound. At your soul. So he says, I want you to understand, and I wish he would drop a name here, don't you? Matter of fact, look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, these are hidden reefs. That phrase, hidden reefs, literally means rocks camouflaged or covered by shallow water. Another author says that they are dangerous rocks in very shallow water. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. And they... Feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds sleepy or swept along by the wind, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. He's not talking about those who are contending for the faith, who are trying to do what's right. He's talking about another certain type of indiv individual who's just pretending. Somewhere they've got washed up on the shore, they are content to live on the rocks, they're content to live in the shallow ground, and their life is affecting others, and he is writing this church to say, watch out for these people. 
By the way, it's interesting at your love feast, and being kind of a Baptist church, we'll all amen and understand this, a love feast was basically a meal before church, then you go to church, and then in the early church, that service would be capped off by taking the Lord's Supper. The idea is the shepherds, the pastors there, the people of leadership and the people in influence had become very self-absorbed and very self-centered. By the way, when your ship, when your soul gets on rocky, in the rocky shallows, when you're stuck in the mud, as it were, and the waves are relentlessly beating on you, it is easy, it is very easy to get inward focused. These people did. Matter of fact, it's interesting that we need to kind of understand that when it talks about hidden reefs, and it's only used here in the scriptures, but we know from extra biblical writings, this word is always used in the context of danger and wreckage. Danger and wreckage. And so Jude is saying, you got to watch out for these, first word, you got to watch out for these people. Because ultimately, they're dangerous, and they'll wreck you up some way. The interesting thing is that he doesn't tell us who they are. And I'm glad he didn't give us any names, because these types of people are always going to be around. So the question is, who are the these? If these people are are apt to blow us off course, if these people are apt to get us stuck on the shore, if these people aren't concerned that we're headed for the rocks in shallow water, then we need to know who these people are. Keep your Bible open to the book of Jude. We're going to kind of, I'm going to give you four things, four descriptive phrases that describe these people that you and I need to be aware of. These are not contenders for the faith. These are pretenders trying to look like contenders. They're they're not even wannabes. They're they're cheap costume jewelry of the real gems of of the hearts of the people who were contending for the faith. So I want to give you four things. Man, I hope you got a pencil and a piece of paper. And I want you to write these things down. First of all, these people are the ones who reject authority. These people are the ones who reject authority. Now, if you go to verse 8, 9, and 10. Follow along in the scriptures. It says, yet in like manner, these people. He always refers to them as these people, the pretenders. These people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh. Reject authority and blaspheme the glorious one. You sang about the glorious one. That's Jesus Christ. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing with the body of Moses, he didn't presume to pronounce blasphemy and judgment against him, and he could have. But these people, the pretenders, the phonies, the hypocrites, the people who don't really care if you're heading towards the rocks in the shallow waters, these people don't really care if you're stuck in the mud because it's all about them. These people. They criticize, they blaspheme, they rail against all that they don't understand. And they're destroyed by all that they like. Like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. I I want you to understand something from this passage. 
that these people are those who reject authority. Now, what evidently was going on in this local church, and you got to listen to this because it kind of sets up the whole thing. There were people who rose into leadership positions who looked good on Sunday, but they didn't live it on Monday. There was no walk with the Lord. There was no passion in their steps. There was no joy in their heart. It was all for show. They were stuck in the mud. They were, they were in the shallow water on the rocks. And they were trying to get everybody to come and join them. They were pretenders, not contenders. And, and what they did is they had heard the teachings of the apostles. They understood what Paul said about adultery. He understood, they understood what Paul said about sexual immorality. They understood what Jesus said. He said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you this, if any man looks after a woman and lusts in her heart, he's committed a boo-boo. Now the Bible says he's committed lust already. So what these people were doing, these pretenders were doing, they were saying, listen, I know God's word says this, but God gave us a dream. And in my dream, God says that it is all right if I have sex with you and you and you and you. And it's okay because God told me. Now, I want you to understand something about the church you're in. Because these pretenders believed that the Bible, what the Bible said, meant nothing. That they could take the part that they liked, delete the part they didn't like, and if they wanted to do something, they would just insert it under the guise of a God-given dream. So I just kind of want to tell you, because these guys would slam the authority of this book. They would slam the authority of the word of God. They would have slammed the authority of Jesus Christ. So I kind of thought on this morning, it might be good if you knew where this guy stands on the authority of this book. Because I think everybody's accountable to somebody. And everybody is under somebody else's authority. And I live my life here at church, I'm, I'm, I'm accountable to our board, but I'm telling you what, you're looking at a guy who just with every fiber of his being respects this holy book. I want you to understand that I believe that this Bible is God's word for us today. I don't believe that part of it is for today. I believe that all of it is for today. I believe the authority of this book is pure. I believe the authority of this book is true. I believe this book is inerrant without error, that it is inspired by God, that God so moved on the writers, 40 different writers over a space of 1,500 years on three different continents, and yet there's not a contradiction in it. And, these, and God moved upon their hearts so that they wrote it down using the distinctiveness of their own personality on paper so that we could have copies and copies and copies of it so that we can have have authority and confidence that what this book says contains the very words, thoughts, and heart of our God in heaven. I believe this book means what it says and says what it means. I believe this book calls me, whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not, this book calls me, it compels me, it demands that I live under its authority.
And if I don't, if you don't, it's the shallow waters hidden with rocks. It's muddy bottoms where the, where the, where the wind and the, and the waves will just can relentlessly just pound and pound and pound and break you to pieces. Because you don't have anything to stabilize your life. And what does that is God's word. I believe this book is not to be rejected, but to be embraced. I believe it's to be embraced to the point where I believe that in the pages of the book are the very words that I need to hear that will give my life meaning, purpose, and direction. This book tells me that about life and death and eternal life in heaven. I believe the book declares right to be right, wrong to be wrong, and I am duty-bound by my relationship to Jesus Christ and to God through my relationship in Christ to live righteously. Now, I know this sounds a little old-fashioned, but you cannot give your heart to Jesus and pick and choose which commandments you're going to live by. You cannot give you say, I've given my heart to Jesus, and go, well, you know what? That's good for some people. That's not really good for me. I believe in the authority of this book. And I believe that the authority of this book has authority over my life, and I live by it, and it has authority over your life. And if you live by it, it keeps you out of the shallow, rocky waters and the muddy bottoms. You have to live under authority. By the way, authority matters. Authority matters. We live in a day where people are just kind of anti-authority. And everybody wants to be this rogue person. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to be this rogue believer. Do you know that has no place in Scripture? Bold faith has place in Scripture, but this idea of rogueness and, and I'm going to cut my own path and do my own swatch and do my own thing. No, the Bible says we go together as a body. We, we do things in community. We celebrate and live life together. The Bible has no respect for men or women who do not live under authority. Authority. Matter of fact, we can see the lack of authority you don't have authority, if you don't respect authority for God, you're probably going to struggle to respect any authority. Now, those of us who were born of a different generation, and just give me a good hearty amen here. If you and I were to talk to our parents like we hear some of our children or some of the children in our, you know, area talk about their parents, what would happen to us? You ever heard of a switching? I've told you about it before. You go out and get your switch off the tree, hand it to your mom. She says, bend over. And heaven help you if you run from mom. Take her all day to get through the mall, but I'm telling you what, she could outsprint me through the house. I tell teenagers all the time. Before you fall in love, before you give a little, guys, before you give a little girl your heart, you better look at how she respects her daddy because how she respects her daddy eventually will be how she respects you. 
And I tell the girls, you better look at how he respects her mama. I'm telling you, this whole idea of living under authority is huge. God is into bold faith, not rogue faith. And we live under the authority of Scripture. Let me give you the second one. False teachers blunder around, or these blunder around in sin. They blunder around in sin. Sometimes purposefully, sometimes unintentionally, but they're comfortable with sin. Now, I will be honest. One of the, one of the benchmarks of my own personal heart to see if I'm headed towards shallow water with, rocky, with rocks is if I find myself getting a little too comfortable with sin, man, that is like a warning sign for me. But we are inundated, aren't we? I mean, men, you have to be disciplined. I mean, you might as well, amen. We live in such a sexually driven, imaged world that you have to be disciplined to look away, turn away, turn the channel, turn it off, right? Don't get comfortable blundering around in sin. Listen to what the Bible says. Verse 11. Verse 11 says this. It says, woe to them. Who's the them? That's the these that he's talking about. For they walked the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain of Balaam's heir and perish in Cory's rebellion. Now here is Jude's outline. He gives you a point, then an Old Testament illustration. Sometimes one, two, or three. He gives you another point, then he gives you an Old Testament illustration or illustrations. Here he says, listen, don't be like the pretenders who blunder around in sin. And then he gives you three examples. He says, don't worship them like Cain. Cain was was the jealous brother of Abel and murdered him. And the ways of Cain were disobedient and unbelieving. And he worshiped God according to his own understanding instead of God's revelation. They, he was envious and he, was, he was hated others and he had a murderous spirit. In addition to talking to the way of Cain, he rushed, rushed to, the prophet of, uh, to the prophet of Balaam. And what Balaam did, and this is in the book of Numbers, I think it's chapter 16... And what Balaam did is he got paid by this godless king to pronounce a curse on Israel. That was the first thing he messed up on. Then he went back to Israel and told him that it was all right to fornicate if you paid him a price. Balaam is the guy who sold his soul for money. Blundered around in sin and fell in love with money and didn't fall in love with God. And man, I want everybody in here to be a billionaire. Amen? Amen? Because then you will tithe off of your billions. I get that. Here's the deal. Money's not wrong. It's the priority. It's the love that you place on it that's wrong. 
what we do is we take money, which God meant to be a blessing, and we make it a curse because we either want more of it or, or, or we just are just kind of turned off by God gave it to us to be a blessing. And by the way, then he talks about the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah, they, they were the musicians, and they stood against Moses and Aaron. And they caused division in the children of Israel. So basically Moses just said, okay, all you guys with Korah, stand right over there. All you guys with me, stand right over here. So all the guys with Moses stood right over here. And there was probably a little bit bigger crowd standing with Korah and his group over here. And Korah's probably looking at Moses going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, see, I told you. And then all of a sudden, because of their disobedient spirit and their lack of respect for the leadership that God gave, the ground opened, opened up and swallowed everybody in Korah's group. You talk about having respect for Moses. I'll bet you everybody saluted him and said, yes, sir, from now on. They blundered around in sin and they followed the ways of Cain, the ways of Balaam, and the guys of, of, of Korah. But God's calling us not to blunder around in sin. He's calling us to live by this book. And yes, if it means changing your life or your lifestyle to live by this book, do it. The Bible says that when you and I become believers, old things are passed away and all things, everything becomes new. I'm amazed at how many people want to keep going back to the things that Jesus Christ forgave us from. Well, let me give you two more things. These people were deceptive. These people were intentionally deceptive. They wanted you to like them, believe in them, believe that they were telling you the truth. Somehow they gained positions of shepherds or leaders or teachers in, in that church or that, that community. But they were serving for selfish reasons. Now, this yesterday and, and Friday, man, we just had this killer event, Relentless. And, man, there were people who worked hard on this thing, knocked it out. We have people who have been teaching Sunday school. Sue Anthony has been teaching Sunday school for 40 years. Jack is, in his second Sunday, is pastor at Belleville. He was our children's pastor for 20 years. Others of you have been, been faithful. Gerard has been a deacon here for for. Well over 20 years, he predates me. But I'm telling you, you don't do it for what you get out of it. You serve in such a way that the attention doesn't go on you, but the attention goes on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So they were talking about Jesus, but in their heart they were going, me, 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 me. Just, just listen to the, the, the verses. Look at verses 12 and 13. Look at what it says. It says, these are hidden reefs. We read it before. Man, they are rocks under shallow water. It is around these people. It's dangerous and there's wreckage. They're not going to help you. They're going to hurt you. They're intentionally deceptive. He says, you got to be aware of these people. Now, how do you know if somebody's deceptive? Because you measure it up against the truth of this authoritative book in our life. You check it out against the book. And they were intentionally deceptive. 
And evidently, when brother so-and-so got up and said, well, God gave me a dream, and here it is, everybody just went. And they were so enamored that God gave the dream that they never questioned what God said to do in the dream. Listen, when we, when, when everything, man, you ought to have your Bible, your, your iPad, your smartphone, whatever. Every time I read a scripture, you ought to go and check it out. When I reference something, you ought to be looking it up and checking it out. You ought, to, you ought to check it out and say, man, is my preacher preaching it straight? No, I know I've been here 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, he's not going to preach anything untrue. I'm telling you, I don't care if I'm here 100 years. I'd be an old guy then. And then I'll shrink even more. Did you see that picture of me and James and Buddha Edwards? First time in my life. I've been short all my life. You guys know that, but that is the first time in my life I ever felt short. But I'm just simply saying it doesn't matter if I'm here shorter and 100 years more. You check out what I say against the book. They were deceptive. They, they talked about the right stuff. Their heart was just in the wrong place. Matter of fact, in vivid imagery and language, Jude strings together four word pictures in those verses about these people. He says they're hidden reefs, unseen dangers. They're clouds without water, promises, but no They're trees with no fruit, again, promises, but no fulfillment. And they're wild waves. That means that they just bring chaos and throw debris everywhere. Let me give you the last thing. Is that these people are self-serving. These people are self-serving, man. They're only interested in themselves. They want the fame. They want the position. They want the title. They want the power. They want it all. But they don't want any of Jesus. They want to feel good about them. They don't want to feel good about him. So these people are only interested in themselves. Now, you're always going to find people with these four qualities. Look at verses 14, 15, and 16. Just kind of look on your, your iPad or in your Bible. It says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment to all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. There's a lot of ungodliness in that verse, isn't there? And all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Again, rejection of his authority. These are grumblers, malcontents, flowing from their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. You want to know how somebody, you want to know four quali- uh, traits of somebody who is self-centered, egocentric? He gives them to us. Here they are. He, he says that they, they, they're grumblers and they find fault with everything. Don't you love being around those people? I mean, it's just, nah, it's just not good enough. Not blah, 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 And they grumble. And they follow their own desires. Then after that, these, they boast about themselves and then they flatter others. They go, look at me. And then they condescend to flatter you. You know what flattery is, don't you? Flattery is saying the right words without the right heart. That's flattery. That's Trimble's definition of flattery, but I think it's pretty good. So what I want you to understand is that these people, 
There's a certain kind of people that if we don't keep our eyes on the certain one, man, we'll get blown off course. We'll head to the, the shallow rocks. We'll get stuck in the muddy bottoms because these people, man, man, these people reject authority. These people are, are deceitful. These people are self-centered. These people just want all the glory. Now the question is, are you one of these people? That's really where Jude is taking his readers and his audience of that day. He was really confronting them and saying, okay, are you one of these people? Are you one of these people? Are you a pretender? And again, you're going to see the four things come up on the screen of what pretenders are. He, he's saying, are you one of these people? He, he wants you to understand it's easy when wind blows and storms come in our life. It's easy to get off course. And if we don't make a course correction, we'll get blown closer and closer and closer to the shore. And we'll hit the rocks that are covered by shallow water. And then the relentless beating of the waves of the storms would literally break us apart. He's saying, are you one of these people? Now that's an easy question to answer, isn't it? Some of you are going, well, I'm only one out of four of those. Then you're one of those people. You say, oh, I don't like that. Well, take it up with Jude. I'm just telling you what he said. So well, I'm kind of like, I'm two out of the four. I'm okay, you know. Actually, what's so wrong with being a, a little self-serving and trying to get ahead in life and all that kind of stuff? Listen, I'm just telling you, that attitude grows, and the attitude of all four of those things you're seeing on the screen, those attitudes grow and grow and grow and grow in us that make us get farther off course and closer to the dangerous rocks on the shore. So Jude is really saying, okay, you got a choice. You can either follow these people or you can follow Jesus Christ. You can follow these people or you can follow Jesus Christ. That was the choice he presented to them. And that's the choice I present to you. Jesus will take you to life everlasting. Oh, it's not all going to be a bed of roses. Yes, there's going to be storms. But I'm telling you, he will be, as the Bible calls him, the captain of your salvation. And yes, that is a nautical term. He is the captain of the ship. God is not interested in being your co-pilot. Remember the bumper stickers that were popular about 10 years ago? God is my co-pilot. He is not interested in being your co-pilot. God wants to be the pilot. And Jesus is the captain. So Jude gave him a choice. You either follow these people or you follow Jesus. Pretenders, contenders. These, Jesus. Pretenders, contenders. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment?